I want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by Beeler Tech. With a focus on building meaningful relationships for individuals and companies, Beeler Tech facilitates powerful connections and conversations, empowers with hands-on coaching and consulting, and amplifies with targeted exposure and messaging. In the digital advertising and media world, Beeler Tech is your connection to what's possible. Today, joining us is Dante Simpson, who's the co-founder of eSpat and chief executive officer of eSpat TV. We're thrilled he's here. Let's jump in and get to know Dante. Dante, how are you? Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Eric and Carell. I couldn't be more happy to be here with you today. So thank you so much for allowing me the space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't wait to talk to you about a great career and all the great things you're doing right now. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe high fashion, major music company, and certainly what's happening with eSpat TV and eSpat today. So first, tell us a little bit about Dante Simpson. Dante, where'd you grow up? Where were you born and raised? Tell us a little bit about you. Okay, absolutely. That I do know a little bit about myself. I was born in New York. It's funny when I say that, I always get the New York City inference. I always get the what is it like in the Big Apple, the city that never sleeps. And I try to be cool and tell them a little bit about New York, but it just sounds a little less cool when I tell them I was born in Rochester, New York. So <laughs> I'm actually uh, born in Rochester, New York, but I was raised in Atlanta. Again, sounds very cool when you hear Atlanta, but for everybody that may be listening from Atlanta, I'm just a guy from Hostel, not quite as sexy. <laughs> so, but with that said, I'm, I'm actually living right now in New Jersey. Absolutely love it. So born in Rochester, New York, raised in Atlanta. And I am living in New Jersey. It's been a great journey between that and school. I'm going to school in Ohio, going to school, uh, grad school in New York. I feel like I've been on the move since young, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I absolutely love it. That's awesome. Between New York, Ohio, Atlanta, all kind of different. What was that like for you growing up and spending time and maturing and living in different areas? What did you learn about very different parts of our country? I learned in rural segments kind of what it was to to kind of live without a lot of the intriguing offerings of major city, but also being so close to Atlanta, as an example. I ran up and down Peach Street, so anybody that's uh, that, that, that's familiar with Atlanta, I definitely had a lot of fun there, but was also far enough to step away from Atlanta when I needed to. Another one of the things that I love about New Jersey, I'm right over the bridge, right over the GWB, the George Washington Bridge. So I'm close enough to the city, but when I need to get away, I can come back over to Jersey. I think that that's something that I found in each location that I've been. It's interesting, Rochester being so close to the Canadian border, being able to, you know, just kind of step into another country and that being a weekend when you're much younger, being mm. close enough but then still having that distance to have a different type of life, lifestyle in major city. So I like to think that it's the best of both worlds. I was close enough. It, it's, it's very interesting. I often tell people when I moved to New York originally, I stayed in the uh, in one of the Trump Towers, and I absolutely hated it. So I did not like New York City living at all. I loved New York City, but just being able to come in and leave whenever I needed to on the ferry or, or getting out of town was definitely something that I've fallen in love with. So I claim New Jersey is home, 
but being able to experience, and I'm going to use this word a couple of times when we talk, but I hate the word when it's misused, being raised in different cultures around different people in different parts of the country has definitely been great for me and my development and my ability to communicate and, and align with different people with different beliefs and, and, and so on and so forth. It, it afforded me all of that. And I, again, wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm very proud and pleased with that journey thus far. That's fantastic and really great insight. What about your family? Like, tell us a little bit about what drove some of those decisions. And like, these are big decisions to move to different parts of the country. And if I may, almost kind of like resets, right? Like, you know, to be in where you just described and then to head south and then kind of reset, right? And then you personally going to school and then, you know, heading out, it's another reset again, and then entering the work field and and then almost another reset again. Tell us a little bit about sort of family and your family and how that worked out. Absolutely. I always love telling this story. A pretty cool love story, right? So I'll tell you the story of my mom and dad. They are watching down from heaven. I pray that I make them proud every single day. And as you talk about these different cities, dad was born and raised in Alabama, rural Alabama. Mom was born and raised in Florida. So on the weekends, my dad and his friends used to get the pickup truck and they'd actually drive to Florida to pick oranges, actually. In the town that my dad would go to, my mom's family owned the general store. I imagine my dad was a 6'4 guy, kind of tall, strapping guy. He tells the story one day he went in the general store and he saw a young lady and he couldn't stop looking. So he starts flirting and over the weeks he's flirting and he's flirting with this young lady who, of course, was my mom. And they started dating back then in high school. And it was a long distance relationship. <laughs> so the first time I heard of a long distance relationship was my mom and dad. Every weekend, he'd, he'd, he'd get back in that pickup truck and go to Florida. They graduate from high school, and my dad's looking at where he wants to go to college. And he says, you know, I want to go be closer to the love of my life in Florida. And he applies to Florida A&M. So if there's any Rattlers listening, my dad was always a proud alum. But he decided to go to Florida A&M. Back in those days, there were no cell phones. Yeah, <laughs> you were basically writing a letter and you'd be lucky when you could call ever so often. So my dad just had this romantic gesture that he was going to go to Florida A&M. He applied, he got accepted, and away he was ready to go. Unbeknownst to him, the love of his life had a very similar idea. So she wanted to be closer to, to her forever guy and decided to apply to a school who has changed their name. But back then it was called Tuskegee Institute. Tuskegee University, Tuskegee Institute at the time is in Alabama. So my dad lived in Alabama, decided to go to Florida to school to be closer to my mom. My mom did the exact opposite. So that's another <laughs> four years of them not being together. So I tell you, the first time I heard of a long distance relationship was my mom and dad. They swapped states and That's were amazing. still the same distance apart, ultimately. So my dad's at FAMU, proud alum. My mom's Tuskegee Institute, proud alum. They said, okay, enough of this. <laughs> we're, we're going up north. My uncle was in the military. He was back in the States and was actually up in Rochester. And they just got a brand new start. They were like, okay, enough of this long distance. We are going somewhere completely different. That's what led to the initial move to Rochester, New York, actually. Um, so it was literally, we had family in town and they went up with them. And back then you had Kodak in Rochester. You had a couple of other businesses that were based out of Rochester. 
and they went up and they just they hit the ground running and they absolutely loved it. But I, I always say that the background's pretty interesting. It's a love story that took many years to develop. But if anybody's wondering if long distance works, I am uh, <laughs> I'm the child of a successful long distance relationship and started down south and made its way up to New York. And I was next. Isn't that cool? Uh, nonfiction sometimes is so much better than fiction. Right? <laughs> it's like real life. right? <laughs> That's fascinating. What a great story. I love it. Tell us a little bit about like what it's like co-founding and now being the CEO of eSpat TV. And for our audience that doesn't know, can you tell us a little bit about eSpat and tell us about the exciting world of eSports and what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'll start with what it means, the definition of eSpat. It's actually an acronym. It stands for eSports, Pixels, and Technology. And they say that sometimes very interesting journeys start out with a very simple idea. I have two co-founders and myself. One is Ed Brooks, who is the founder of the NFL Studios. The other is Mario Prosperino, who was uh, previously the head of sports properties for Associated Press and prior to that with Getty. And Ed was actually looking for a photo. It started that simple. He was looking for a photo for esports, a specific photo, and he couldn't find it. He reached out to his friend Mario, and they could not find it. And they realized that, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here in the license space mm. to actually license content in the esports and gaming community, but work exclusively for them. We launched the first platform doing just that in North America. There was not one prior to our launch. We are now the largest in that space. Very cool. I am a content guy. I'm a creative. So I started to take a look and say, where is this gaming space going? We've got teams. We've got streamers. We've got folks who just game from a casual perspective. Where is this going? And I am a firm believer that this is going into the space of content, varying content. Twitch has proved that they're doing amazing with streaming. Their numbers are through the roof and continue to grow. YouTube TV, Facebook gaming, even Netflix has now kind of stepped into the space to kind of more so prove that this is the path for which gaming is going. They're finding connectivity through content. So that's where eSpat TV and eSpat Studios was born. I want you to think of a convergence of content, fandom, and creativity from a premium content perspective. That's who we are as an entity. When folks say, what's my role? And if I were to just break it down to you very simply, I tell you that I'm a marriage counselor. (laughs) That's all (laughs) that I do. I bring together industries, opportunities, objectives for one common goal, one common purpose. And we look to have that happy marriage therein. So I like to say that I'm the marriage counselor of this whole thing. Part of our objective as an entity at Eastbat Studios is to speak to both the casual gamer and the competitive gamer. And I'll give you guys an example. And when you think about this, it'll make so much more sense. I always use Stan Lee as the example. When he started Marvel and when he first started sketches of Black Panther, for example, There's no way that he could have imagined a billion dollars later at box office what that was going to become, the cultural relevance of it, and what he was creating in that time beyond the comic book. Ultimately, obviously, it was a legendary comic under the Marvel banner. But take a look at what happened at Comic-Con around what he's built under the Marvel Universe. 
Take a look at what he's done with blockbuster films. Take a look at Disney+. Plus. These are things that he could have never imagined, that being in the right place, having the right idea, executing on that strategy actually led him to be a legend in this space as far as bringing it to life. And it still lives beyond him. Unfortunately, Stanley is not with us anymore, clearly, but you know, the things that he's created still are. And it's it's interesting. He often tells the story of Spider-Man. And he says when he originally drew the character of Spider-Man, everybody told him absolutely no way. Mm. And he didn't understand why. And they, were, they basically explained to him, they said, people are petrified of spiders. <laughs> why are we going to make a spider a superhero? And they said, Second of all, he's a teenage kid. He's not even an adult here that we're dealing with. And they're like, he's strolling up and down Fifth Avenue. You don't have any superheroes that are just strolling up and, you know, Superman from another place. So just to think that what he saw and the vision that he saw turned into a film that's coming out on December 17th that's projected to do $160 million at the box office. You know, so those no's and... Hopefully this will become a common theme in our conversation. Those very no's that you hear from people, fight through it because mm-hmm. there's so much on the other side of that no. And ESPAT TV and ESPAT Studios, we are on the other side of that no. We got mm-hmm. the attention of Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, obviously Hollywood royalty from a producer perspective, has joined our collective. We've got some of the most revered studios that are partners with us in this space. And that has led to us having the largest premium studio in North America for gaming content. So we've grown ESPAC from an idea that started with a photo to now having not only a platform that offers licensed content, but also the largest content studio for gaming and esports-centric content in North America. Dante, I think it's, it's something very interesting there that I'm picking up on in, in the story is, as you were talking, right, is the point you were making about if you have an idea and you're passionate about something, marrying those two together to grow a business, right? And to your point, regardless of whether people see your vision or not, I think that's where passion comes from. And you can push through those no's that you're getting. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It resonates on so many levels, Corral. You can't be sensitive about the no. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to celebrate the no's. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people, and we see this in society, whether it's just socially, people cannot handle no. You know what I mean? And whether it's in their personal life, no becomes a difficult thing to handle until you have confidence in what you have to offer. When you have confidence in what you have to offer, a no from somebody simply means, no, you're not ready. That's fine. It doesn't mean that I'm not ready. (laughs) It's like you can still remain passionate about what you have to offer. I'll give you an example, and I'll talk outside of ESPAT. I worked for a boutique agency years ago, and we had a, a client, and we were looking to pitch to them a concept. And it was during the Tiger Woods influence and hype in golf. And the company that we were talking to, to be quite frank with you, was NASCAR. And they had Danica Patrick. And they were like, listen, we see what Tiger is doing in golf. We've got, you know, this supreme talent in NASCAR. And our objective is to identify 
more inclusion in our sport, whether it's people of color, whether it's more women and bringing them into the sport, so on and so forth. We gave them a tremendous idea, a tremendous concept, and maybe the timing for them was not right. But we had the opportunity to take that same concept to a major radio platform, radio organization that basically told us, hey, we're looking to do something right now, right aligned with what you've presented. It became a two-day music festival that took place in Vegas. And a lot of people know that as iHeartRadio Music Festival. So that was actually born out of a concept where another group said no. But finding the right partner is sometimes, and actually I dare to say most times, if not all times, finding the right partner is better than just finding the yes that's in front of you because it may not be the partner that you need. So don't allow no to slow you down. Just understand that that's, you know, it may just be another day or two. And even if it's another year or two or 10, uh, and I use 10 because of Squid Games and the producers <laughs> without finding his right partner. But my goodness, when he found him, he looked good. And so does Netflix with Squid Game. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the no takes you a little bit longer to get to the yes, but have confidence in your passion and what you created, what you developed, and you never know what that right partner can do for you. So true. So true. Dante, what is the state of diversity, equity, and inclusion like in your space? Good question. There's a lot of work to be done. (laughs) So I'll say that. But at the same time, I think that it begins with the identification that there is work to be done. That's what we're noticing in our space. And there are folks who are stepping in. For example, Queens Gaming Group. They're doing tremendous work with bringing in women, with lowering the toxicity that's in the space with regards to people of color. There are still challenges that happen in the space. I'll give you an example of some of those challenges. I use hockey and lacrosse as the perfect examples. There are cost barriers that come with playing hockey. You've got to get the stick, the goal, the you got to find ice. You got to hope that that ice is free. There are a lot of challenges that come with playing some of those sports lacrosse, the additional equipment that you need to actually play lacrosse safely. Whereas basketball, football, you don't necessarily have those obstacles. All you need is a ball and a hoop and you can go at it. Football, all that you need is a ball and you can go at it. So I think that there are challenges from the gaming perspective, just with the costs. That's one challenge, understanding the cost of things in urban areas, for example, or the lack of resources in urban areas. And I like to say, what I like to call is the Wi-Fi distribution. If if folks know anything about Wi-Fi spottiness, Wi-Fi speed in urban areas, they clearly understand what I'm referring to. These Mm -hmm. are limitations that create challenging environments when you're looking to step into the competitive space. So there are challenges that just are economic challenges. There's challenges that are socio challenges. But at the same time, you do have folks that are committed to changing that. Verizon is stepping in in tremendous ways to make changes in specific communities for children of color, people in lower income environments. So I will say that there are brands that are stepping up and that's key, you know, from our perspective, a lot of brands want to come and optimize on the numbers that are in the space. They know that there's eyeballs here. They know that there's an engaged audience, but what commitment are you making back to the communities 
to ensure that there's equality, to ensure that there's inclusion. And these brands are doing it. We've seen Epic do it. We've seen League of Legends do it and, and, and some of the titles. So I can say that it's a work in progress. Tomorrow will have to be better than today, but they have identified it as an issue. And the leagues, the organizations, the publishers, as well as the brands are all putting in work to kind of drive to a better tomorrow. We're going to take a short break and hear from our special sponsor. We're hanging out with Rob Bueller, founder of Bueller.tech. Rob, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. I'm good. Awesome. Listen, Bueller.tech is growing. Rob, tell us what is the core concept behind Bueller.tech? Yeah, it's clear to us that community is greater than complexity. And we believe that if we work together, we can make digital media and digital advertising a better business to be in. We think about that at the individual level, the department level, and even at the publisher level, and anyone that wants to support that concept. I love it. That's so cool. And I love the word that you said, community. Can you talk about the ways that you help the community? Yeah, I mean, we try to connect people with other people and create conversations. And sometimes those conversations are events, roundtables, Slack conversations, right? The key is to move things forward. And one thing I wanted to share with your audience is we like to create speaking opportunities. And Mm -hmm. we think that speaking in front of an audience is a key skill set people need to advance their careers, which is why we love the Minority Report, because you highlight new voices. And we really support that concept. Thanks a lot, Rob. And thanks for always being such a great supporter of the podcast over the years. Your support means a lot. So Everyone, please be sure to check out www.beeler.tech. And now back to the podcast. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. I always like to say these challenges, these opportunities are are marathons, not sprints, right? And so you just got to keep taking one or two steps forward. So that's good to hear. What gets you excited about your day-to-day at ESPAD? I'll, I'll go back to use a word that you said, marriage counselor. What do you love about being a marriage counselor? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting being ahead of the ball. A lot of people see the wave, but to catch the wave at a ripple is really exciting. I always say that we are most excited to be the premium storytellers of the category. But with the continued convergence that I mentioned of cultures, you're having a lot of mashup and you're seeing this mashup take place. A lot of this is coming through our doors. For example, being parts of legendary moments in music. I mentioned I come from music, be it Sony BMG. So to be able to be a part of things like Travis Scott and Fortnite is something that I believe is our transcendent moments. Little Nas X and Roblox, for example, those are mashups of music within the gaming space. We're seeing the same thing with with fashion. Balenciaga is really stepping up and making a commitment to gaming, for example. And most recently, they just did their collaborative merch drop with Fortnite. And we were able to do the 3D activation in Times Square during Fashion Week. These are moments that are very, very intriguing, something very similar in Paris as well during Fashion Week. So to be able to be a part of these fashion moments, these are things that we were not a part of, but to see folks like Louis Vuitton step in and partner with League of Legends or, you know, see some of these other fashion titles that we're all incredibly familiar. Gucci has obviously stepped into the space and so many others. And seeing this mashup is something that's very interesting to me, but also seeing the Hollywood types. I always use this and I smile, Cyberpunk 2077. The game had a lot of glitches. There were a lot of challenges with the game, but the campaign leading into it was legendary. 
Hoffman to be a part of that campaign with Keanu Reeves and so many other people. Those things are legendary. And then finally, you start seeing traditional sports. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but last year, Super Bowl was in Tampa. After the Super Bowl, Fortnite had an activation inside of the game where they recreated Raymond James Stadium, which the Buccaneers play out of. They actually rebranded that stadium inside of Fortnite. They called it the Verizon 5G Stadium. And you had performances after the Super Bowl. So you had Miley Cyrus and you had Alicia Keys and other just prominent multi-platinum global superstars performing after the Super Bowl. It allowed them to expand their footprint beyond the in-real-life activation that we saw to actually starting to do stuff in the immersive space. So that excites me. You know, the mashup, the understanding that folks are coming this way. I love the fact that they say that certain things are universal. Love is universal. Music is universal. Sport is universal. It doesn't matter where anybody is. You put a soccer ball on the ground and kids can play soccer together, regardless of if they speak the same language, gender, genre, any of that type of thing. But also gaming is universal. You know what I mean? And that's something that I love that really excites me is when we talk growth, our growth is not domestic only. We're talking global growth. Doesn't matter where you are on the planet, two strangers can have this incredible shared experience. And we're privileged to tell those stories. And when it's successful, it's amazing. We saw an unrelated example, as I told you, with Squid Games. And we expect to be a part of that. I don't know if you're familiar with Arcane, which is currently on Netflix. It's a series that's on Netflix. And it's basically the series that's about the League of Legends characters. So there's literally a series that's number one right now on Netflix. And they are doing a tremendous job there. And we're looking forward to doing much the same with some of the partners that we're aligned with. So that's what excites me, being ahead of the curve and also watching some of this stuff come to life and knowing that when all of us are gone, kids are going to remember moments and say, do you remember back in 2020 when Travis Scott was in was in Fortnite? And that's going to be a part. It's going to be woven into their youth and childhood. And we'll be there. And I love that. Amazing. Dante, I want to ask you, about your own personal experiences here for a minute. You know, you mentioned celebrating the no and not letting no slow you down. Have you had times in, in your career and through all of your tremendous experience where someone told you no, or you faced moments where something did slow you down because of your color, because of who you are? Can you talk to us a little bit about moments that you had to push through like that? Absolutely. I'll give you an interesting scenario that happened to me. And with regards to being slowed down, discrimination, challenges in the workplace, I always like to say the same thing. If you're a person of color, it's actually not your issue to handle. I feel like we try to handle issues that are actually not our issues to handle. And I think that moving forward with grace, but also understanding that if you're going to succeed, success will be yours and no one can stop that is key. So I'll tell you a story that happened to me. I was actually speaking at an event in Vegas. And after speaking, a young lady came up to me, incredibly kind woman. She was the SVP of one of the major casinos in Vegas. And I was talking gaming and she said, listen, we really need to get into this. I know that we need to. We just don't know what we need to do. We need help. Can you help us? I said, absolutely. 
I stayed in touch with her. And then it just kind of went nowhere. But the entire time she was saying, this is brilliant. This is genius. Let us figure it out. And she disappeared. Fast forward to 2020. The world was in chaos. Everything was going on from a social perspective, social activism perspective, and folks being forced to look in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? Regardless of who you were, looking in the mirror and, and what's happening in and around the world, here in this country and globally. And this same woman that I met years prior at this event in Vegas called me and she made a profound statement to me. And she said, I don't know what to do. And I'm going to make light of a situation here in a second. But she goes, I don't want to put a black square on my Instagram. I had to laugh because I, I always feel like one day I'm going to go back and see if those black squares are still up on everybody's Instagram and what more importantly, what they've done since. But she said, I don't want to put up a black square because that doesn't really do anything. She said, and I don't know what to do. She goes, so I had to look at myself and I realized everybody that I do business with in my Rolodex and immediate contacts is a Caucasian male. And she said, but I've met brilliant people of color along the way. But when I get opportunities or need things, I don't call any of them. And she said, so... The way that I'm going to change my process is I'm going to start now. And I called you. She said, how can I help you? She said, how can I be of service for you? What can I do for you? And I'm going to be frank with you. This woman introduced me to two people who are clients today. Do you know what I mean? She wanted nothing from it other than just to say, I do this all the time for everybody else. Why have I not done this for you? There is no reason why I haven't done it for you. When you ask what do I do, I just move on. And either your success will be the lesson or the person will find within themselves the lesson. And when you come back, you are just as gracious as you were when you met them the first time. And those people will then realize that, wow, not only was this person understanding of something that I was doing, I mean, I'll allow you to answer it. was that discriminatory that she had a Rolodex of all the same type of people? Was it like a subconscious thing that she was doing? I don't know. You know, she'll have to answer that for herself. But, you know, there is something to be questioned. Where I could say she definitely fell into a comfort zone, you know what I mean, with regards to how she was conducting her business. And I would say to any decision makers listening to any of your audience, I would apply that same question. Are you yeah. falling into a corporate comfort zone? Because for me and for folks like myself, we just continue grinding. We continue doing the work every day. And I'm comfortable looking in the mirror with what we've built. And that's been my model the entire time. Some folks say that they won't applaud you until you succeed. I like to think that the right people will applaud you as long as you're able to execute. A lot of us have ideas. (laughs) A lot of us are not executing on them. But when you find folks who finally realized that maybe they were looking at this entire thing wrong. You can't be a leader at a brand and not have diverse people sitting at the table. Your messaging is going to be all wrong. No matter what you try to do, no matter what you try to say, it's just going to be all wrong. So we definitely move forward with grace. We move forward and, and we allow those who have to do the hard questioning to do the hard questioning of themselves because we can't do it for you. And I think that we're kind of tired of trying. You mentioned something that I know is near and dear to us and something we haven't talked about a lot as I feel like a larger sort of community, but that sort of tired piece. 
it's fascinating, you know, sort of thinking about everything we've learned about, gone through, have to keep going forward. And then now you're an additional resource for others, right? And then that means more tapping into you, right? It's it's hard. Yeah. And I think to take a moment and say, we can be tired. Doesn't mean you don't move forward, but you just have to recognize for a second, man, it's hard. I think about what you just talked about and going forward, how do you pass that along? How do you teach that and share that with others? You know, and that's so much of what we love talking about on this podcast with others is how to teach that and sort of pass that forward. Can you share with uh, our listeners and with us just ways that have been helpful for you to pass that on to others and for others to grow from your own personal experiences? I think it's conversation. I think that as a culture, as a community, there were so many things that were unsaid, you know what I mean, that weren't yeah. stated. I never had these conversations with my dad, right? And I use my dad as an example. My dad came from Alabama in the 40s. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, think about that. My dad had a twin brother that fatally lost his life due to racial issues in Alabama in the 50s. Like, that's a difficult place to not have those conversations because I feel as though oftentimes we try to escape them or as children, we don't realize as we look at our parents, they're still growing up too. <laughs> they're only 30, you know what I mean? They're only 40, you know what I mean? Like they're still figuring it out. But as kids, we look at them, they're our parents. They have it all figured out. I look at my friends and some of them still are trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? It's like, we're still learning as we go. So having the insight, being forthright with the younger generation. One thing I can say is that the younger generation, they're going to therapists. They're curing generational curses. They're doing stuff that our parents would, my dad would never go to it there. Like there was mm. just no thought of that. Like that's so true. So, so true. Actually addressing some of the pains and some of the ills that our prior generation did not. And thus they have a slightly different tolerance to things. Mm. But understanding and teaching folks how to be strategic in moments. One of the things that I say to folks is long before you get emotional, be strategic. And a lot of times, I mean, one thing that I know about our folks is that we're highly emotional, <laughs> you know, good or bad. You go to a basketball game and, you know, you go to a sports event and you'll hear us like we're highly emotional about things that we're passionate about. So I think that those communications really are the beginning of these talks that we're having today, not only talks for us three as people of color that are talking today, but for everybody that's listening, that just to have these conversations in the open is just something that was so taboo for prior generations. And if we did have those conversations, and Carol, I'm going to say this to you. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to say a sentence and I want you to finish it. Young Carell is going to church, 11 years old, 12 years old. Young Carell is going to the grocery store. Young Carell is leaving the house. Parents definitely said to you, all right, now don't go out here and embarrass me because you know, and this is the sentence I want you to finish, because you know that what happens in this house, finish it. What happens in this house stays in this house. Absolutely. Stays and in this house. That, that <laughs> is what we had to break a little bit when yeah. we started to talk outside of that. But And I started this conversation by saying I hate culture. I hate the misuse of the word culture. The misuse of the word culture, we just exhibited how it's properly used. Yeah, Culture is something you can't buy. It's, it's something you can't steal. 
It's something that you live. So although I never met mother and father Cooper, <laughs> although I never met Eric's parents, the reality is we have shared experiences amongst us that I can just say a few words and you can finish it because I don't know if they live by the same handbook or what we did, but we went through shared experiences and I can guarantee that we all have experienced similar things in our households that are culture related specifically. And yep. that's where to me being communicative, being open, having this dialogue with the next generation such that they're comfortable to have it with us. That's the part that's the fix here, or at least is the beginning. And that's the role that I play with my friends and family and even with strangers and outside of my household. Yep. And just to show you how much the cultures are even closer, you said your two parents are from the South. My mom is from Mississippi. My dad's from South Carolina. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> yeah. And Eric, I think that's the first time the guest flipped it around on us and asked us a question. It's tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 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 So another question for you along the lines of advice, Dante, what advice would you give to anyone that's listening to this podcast that's thinking about launching their own business that has an idea and is on the fence about, okay, should I launch this business or not? And what should they be doing? I think that there's a couple of things that you can do. I like to say, find your lane and stay true to your lane, but don't stay stubborn to your lane. So you've got to listen, listen to your partner. Your best partner in business is going to be your consumer. So listen to your consumer, but be authentic in anything that you do. So that's another key. That's where you start. That's when it's just an idea in your mind. When you kind of take a step past that, I am a person who, I look at the case studies and not the white paper. And a lot of people wonder what I mean when I say that, when I say I look at the case studies and not the white paper. I care much more about the experience than I do about the theory of your business. So have you done the true research on your business? Theory is how it should go. Experience is how it's actually gone for others. So understanding the case study of your business versus understanding the theory of your business. And those type of things, extracting the best out of using innovation to change the worst. So that's an interesting thing with regards to business that I like to say to folks. And I'll give you an example of extracting the best and using it to change the worst. 2019, we reached out to one of the world's largest touring companies and two of the largest music labels. And we were prophesying about immersive performance and what that meant, bringing performance into a virtual space. We broke records with that in 2020, but a lot of people said, ah, it doesn't make any sense. It won't work. It won't work. And then 2020 happened. And touring lost billions of dollars because we were all in the house. Nobody was outdoors. Nobody was at a live concert. And you started to see folks being born in that moment. If you guys are fans of what Swiss Beats and Timberland did with Versus, uh, if you're fans of what a lot of folks did using IG, I mean, D-Nice took over the world, <laughs> you know, using Instagram. Again, we did some pretty amazing things in that immersive space. Understanding how to use innovation to target and change the worst of a moment. And we brought love to the world through music. And I always say, make it yours. Whatever your business is that you're doing, truly make it yours. If you've got experience in other industries, find out which of those experiences are transferable 
and actually leverage successes that you had elsewhere and bring that into your new business and understand where those skills and relationships may both be transferable and help you build upon an industry that you may not currently be tapped into. And remove fear. <laughs> don't, don't be afraid. There's no better time to do it than now. This is actually the time of the entrepreneur. We're seeing it every single day. And if fear is an issue for you, then you've got to build upon what you're doing a little bit more because you shouldn't be fearful. You should step into this with both feet. Be proud of what you're building. Love it. Love it. All right. Fun question that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is to give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, which you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Okay. Yeah, I probably was started with text messaging. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you my number one. I start my day and I end my day with this one all the time. It is the infamous Calm app. So I start my day with that. The moment that they put LeBron on there, I was listening to that continuously. Everything that they're doing with the Calm app, I feel like maybe they can send me a check for this when they are getting a free endorsement. But yes, absolutely. The Calm app is my best friend. My guilty pleasure is Instagram. That damn Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> they get me every time. I probably shouldn't be on as much as I am, unfortunately. I claim that I use it for work because a lot of gamers are on Twitter, actually, but I'm always uh, kind of checking out gaming stuff, even through Instagram, so I can get, get it in, in, in real time. But really, I'm just an addict. Emerging right. market. Emerging market. Emerging exactly. area. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to stick with that. Absolutely. My last one is Spotify. I use it all day. I use it all day when I work. It's funny. You know, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I have my categories, right? So I have my favorite podcasts, for example, is one of my categories within my Spotify. Another one, and you guys can appreciate this, is they always say, hey, who's invited to the cookout? I got the cookout music in my podcast. So you're talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire. You're talking about all your good old stuff, your good new stuff that's really cookout ready. I've got all of that type of stuff. So I've got a lot going on. I've got my gym music and all that kind of thing as well, fitness music. But I live with my Spotify. I play cookout music when you see me working all day, reminiscing about the cookout. But yeah, th those are my three. It'd be the Calm app, Instagram, and Spotify. That's awesome. You know, Dante, it's been so much fun hanging out with you and having you share so much with our audience. What are some ways that like our audience can reach out to you to stay in touch? Yeah, absolutely. I am always on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out to me. I am on Instagram, as I said, but LinkedIn, Dante Simpson, D-A-N-T-E Simpson, S-I-M-P-S-O-N. I'm sure that the guys will have all my social tags and all that good stuff as well, but they can catch me anywhere from LinkedIn to Instagram to any of your major social platforms. And I'll leave you with this. Last year, I reached out to the CEO of the largest TCOM company in the world, and uh, I reached out to him on LinkedIn. And I would say, if you're not using LinkedIn, you're not doing business right. You got to use that LinkedIn. I reached out to him. I didn't know him. He responded to me. They're a client today. It's almost interesting to think that I met this guy through LinkedIn. We ended up playing golf. You know, we became friendly through LinkedIn. So please reach out to me. I promise I will respond. And I do respond to everyone because I think that that is incredibly important. So I hope I didn't just set myself up for a avalanche. <laughs> well, well, Dante, thanks so much for sharing a lot with us. I mean, from case study versus white paper, not letting no slow you down. 
right? Celebrate the no and taking ideas and taking things from ideas actually to a huge concept. There's so many great things that you shared with us. So thank you so much for spending some time with us, sharing your insights and personal experiences. We can't thank you enough. Everyone, thank you for listening to another episode. And we want to thank our sponsor, Bueller Tech, for sponsoring this podcast and supporting conversations like these. It means a lot. Bueller Tech, always activating powerful connections and conversations. In the digital advertising and media world, Bueller Tech is your connection to what's possible. Check out Bueller.tech. Thanks for listening. And you can find more audio and video where you find all of your audio and video and just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, Dante. Thanks everyone for listening.